now introducing Mr. Kawada himself, my dad. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're listening, however you're listening. This is Quantum of History, and I am your host, Donnie Waldron. Welcome back. This is going to be episode 20 of the podcast. Uh, it'll be episode 4, I guess, of the uh, the YouTube, if you're following on that. If you guys haven't checked out my YouTube channel, Just uh, it's just getting started there, so it's a lot of fun. We're doing this series where I, I play a bunch of people in GoldenEye64, and talk a lot of smack so if you guys haven't checked that out if you, or even if you want to be nostalgic about uh men in their 30s playing gold 964 check it out it's a lot of fun and these podcasts go up there too so if you haven't subscribed yet subscribe um but if you're listening to the podcast welcome back episode 20 i can't believe we're already there but today is going to be a really exciting one it's going to be a very cool episode today because we're going to talk about a, a bevy of topics the main being why james bond walks away now, he walks away several times throughout the series. I mean, he walks away in several movies for different reasons. And we're going to have two, three special guests on today. One, my friend JT. He was in the Secret Service. He's guarded U.S. presidents. Um, he was a Cleveland police officer before that. And he's just uh, he's a fellow Homicide Life on the Street uh, fan. So he's, a, I mean, just a great interview. Uh, it's a long one, it's like 27, 30 minutes long, but I just loved every minute, and you guys will love hearing him talk. Second guest I'm going to have are the two guys, uh, Big H and Sev, from the Silverback Chronicles. Sev is uh, my partner in the um, in Baltimore City. He runs a podcast called the Silverback Chronicles, which they are up to like 40-some episodes in their podcast, and they talk about you know different police officers from all over the nation, and uh, he's, they really have a good beat on what's going on today, so... Really great guest. You're going to get a, a different perspective from two very different like uh, viewpoints. You know, you got someone who was in the Secret Service, you know, the top of the top, and then you got us detectives who who all do the same thing. And it's, it's amazing how, even though it's a completely different industry, it's, it's the same thing, and we have the same kind of the same sentiments because it is what it is. And it's kind of like I always say, there's a lot of things that we can learn from history, and there's a lot of things we can learn from just talking to each other and finding out that. You know, humanity is not that different. So it's going to be a really exciting episode today. Stay tuned. Again, why James Bond walks away. James Bond retires from MI6 in a number of um, movies. The first time you see it is in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Now, I have a lot of problems. As if, you, <laughs> if you guys know, I have a lot of problems with On Her Majesty's Secret Service. One of them is being that he leaves the service for Tracy. In the books, it makes sense. Because if you read the books and you read all the things that James Bond's gone through, by the time you get to On Her Majesty's Secret Service, the guy has been through hell. Not as much in the movies. You have to compare what happens in the movies. Sean Connery's kind of like impervious to everything. He just glides through, kind of has an easy time of it. Not easy, but you know, not like he does in the books. The books, he goes through hell. He barely survives through half of them. And each, each book, he seems like he's got a, uh, a thing where he gets shot and should have died. You know. So by the time you get to On Her Majesty's Secret Service... It becomes more believable that he'd be like, "All right, maybe I can, maybe I can hang this up. Maybe it's time." But you look at the movie; it's a fresh-faced um, Lazenby. It's his first time there, and I don't really buy the whole Tracy thing either. I get it, but is it really the way he just was? He just was there with thir- clapping all those cheeks up in the uh, up in Plisgoria. You mean to tell me that he meets her in the barn again, and suddenly he's, he's scared of polar bears, but he just wants to hug? Just wants to hug and get married after seeing that scary pole bell. No. So again, the whole idea that Bond leaves for a woman is the only time it works is in Casino Royale. 
So Casino Royale is another episode, another time when he leaves for um, a female. He leaves for Vesper. Now it makes sense because he's a young uh, agent. As he started your first day at MI6, and when you're first getting into the, the business of being in law enforcement, you know, you get the chase, you, all this new adrenaline thing, you're, you're chasing, you're doing all these exciting things, you're, you're getting fights, you're doing all this crazy stuff, and then that seek of adrenaline rush kind of seeps into your personal life and then you meet a woman and oh my god it's like it's an amazing thing and maybe some young agent i can see falling for it it's a lot of times we see it with new officers when the first time they walk into the hospital with their shiny new uniform and their shiny new badge and they walk by that nurse's station those nurses can smell fresh meat poor guy it's like you know when you first have that first mustang woman you know you know what I mean? Like the first woman that you really were like, you know, every man knows exactly what I'm talking about. That first one that really changed you, that first Mustang, you know? So I could see someone falling for that and maybe be going through. But again, you put so much time and effort into getting into this career. You have probably a year and a half application process. You probably went to college beforehand for law enforcement. Then you come in and there's another year and a half wait for the application process. Then once you get there, you have a long academy then after the academy you have field training and then it takes five years before you're actually decent at the job anyways so the fact that you're just on a whim and he's at mi6 the best of the best he's a double o agent the fact that he would just leave for a female doesn't really make sense the only time i can buy it is in again in casino royale when you, they play for try him as a young agent that can get you know he walks by the nurse's station and he falls for the first one that that uh in, in scrubs it happens i mean Happens to the best of us. But in On Her Majesty's I Don't Buy It, again, he's Blazing Bees in his 20s, I think, in the movie. And he hasn't gone through in the movies. He hasn't gone through the hell that he's gone through in the books. And even Fleming himself, when he's writing On Her Majesty's, was kind of at the end of his career anyways. Or almost near, you know. He had been through it. He was, In his own mind, he was trying to weigh whether he wanted to get married in real life. So it, does, it makes sense in the books. It does not make sense to me in the movies because, again, you don't see him going through all the things that he went through. And then having that decision, and then having to go through all that hell, and then thinking maybe. No, it's just like a new fresh, and then the first time in, he's going to quit MI6 and then leave? No, it doesn't make sense. And the worst of one is Spectre. Again, that doesn't make any sense, because by the time he's got the Spectre, he's supposed to be this grizzled veteran again that's gone through all these trials and tribulations. He went through Skyfall, where he went through craziness. And you mean to tell me that he meets this chick at a clinic, they have one night in a train and he's ready to leave a career. He's probably got, you know, 15, 20 years in ready to get his pension. He's just going to walk away for a chick that just was walking away from him. It makes it makes no sense. And at no point would I ever buy it. James Bond would walk away and quit the service for Leia Sadu. I just don't buy it. It's the, one of the worst plots of the whole thing. And again, you're throwing away a career where you're the elite double O agent. And at the end, for on a whim for some young girl... No, no, it's just, it's just, it doesn't buy it. You worked way too hard to get where you are today. There's no way you're throwing it away for somebody you just met. It's just, it doesn't make, and, and again, you're a double agent. You are supposed to be impervious to this thing. But by the time James Bond in real life, he probably would have had three divorces by now, right? He's probably playing alimony in child support all over the, all over the world. That's, that's probably what the realistic thing is. Not that he would leave for some therapist he met. It's a silly, a silly concept. So of, of all the ones where he leaves, why he leaves for a female, the only one that I can buy is 
Casino Royale, he walks by the nurse's station and then falls in love. That, other than that, on Her Majesty's, it doesn't work, and it certainly doesn't work in Spectre. The other time he walks away is in License to Kill. Again, it doesn't work. It doesn't work for me because his friend, like, the whole idea that these guys would kill the wife of Felix Leiter, a CIA agent, the cartel. What? I can't. Usually something like that is personal, unless he's like a dirty agent or something like that and is embedded in it to actually just kill the wife and make it so personal of a CIA agent. That's bad business for cartel. I can't imagine them, especially in the 80s when, you know, when there was actual leadership in these cartels. You know, why would you do that? Why would you, why would you do that? doesn't make any sense. And then he gets on the balcony. He's like, well, we're going after. And he's like, no, it's a, it's a U.S. matter. We're going to do, do what we can support. And that's how we do it. He's like, no, I'm, I'm going solo. What? And then he jumps off the thing and fights and then they shoot at him. Why would you shoot at him? Cause he, cause he pissed off about his friend and he jumps off a balcony and you're going to shoot, you're going to kill, you're going to kill your double O agent. And then he in fact is going to go rogue and then go kill all these people without the backing of it on himself. And then at the end of the movie, he's going to be like, Oh, Oh, you double O seven, you little rascal. I know you did some things and killed some people for, you know, but, uh, here at MI6, we're pretty forgiven bunch. No, no, it, the whole, it doesn't make any sense on any way. You wouldn't leave. You would do what you can. And you fight for your friend and you help in any way. But the the fact that he just like jumps off and, and goes and kills a bunch of people and comes back in MI6 like, hey, I know you killed a bunch of people and you left and re- all that stuff, but we're going to welcome you back. That's not how it works. You know, you take you take one day of un- unexcused leave and you're going to have to uh, be suspended forever. The fact that he goes and goes on gallivanting across the uh, Florida and then um, it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work on any level. Again, it's a stupid way for him to leave MI6. The one that does make sense, and the one that they got it right, was Skyfall. Now, we've got Casino, you've got Quantum, and then there's supposed to be, if you want to play in the timeline, that he skips ahead, and he's all of a sudden kind of a grizzled veteran in Skyfall. He's kind of washed up and all that stuff, and he's he's on the train. So he goes in there. So he's like, he sees his friend dying. He's like, oh, he needs a medic. He needs a medic. Let, leave him. Leave him. And then he's sent there and he's like looking, he's like, all right, well, all right, I got a job to do. I'm going to have to leave my guy. That hurts. But then he goes and he's on the train and then you hear again, he's fighting for it. He's got it. He's got it. He thinks he's got it. Don't worry, I got this. And then he take the bloody shot. Take the bloody shot. And then he gets shot. And then he goes down and he's just like, he's just drinking Heineken and, and drinking scorpions and all that stuff. Just thinking, you know what? No, no, this is, this is not for me. Mm-mm. No, screw him. I ain't going back. Now, that is why somebody would leave MI6. That's why an officer would leave. That's why someone would give this career up. Because, again, by the time he's gotten there in Skyfall, and you can play with the timeline, but whatever, that's how they play him, is is more of a grizzled veteran. And he's given so much to that agency. He's given his whole life, his whole career, his everything to that thing. He's given his entire life for queen and country. Even like 006 said, Her Majesty's loyal terrier, right? He's given everything he can for that. And what thanks did he get? Take the bloody shot, leave your friend, and then go take, then have somebody else kill. Realizing how dispensable you are, I think, is one of the main reasons. And and, and again, you are not treated like a human being. You are just 007. You are not a human being. And that, that's why he leaves. And that, that's the kind of thing that would make sense to leave. Not the leaving for a girl. Not the, 
um, to avenge a friend. What makes sense, and they nailed it in Skyfall, and they kind of nailed it, was that, and, and what brings them back? It's the sense of duty, right? Because this is a calling for most people, you know, somebody who's all the way in a double O agent, it's just in your blood. Like, you know, you can't explain it. You don't know why. It just is. It's just in your blood. You can't explain why. You just have a sense of duty. And when he sees MI6 coming back and he begrudgingly breaks back into M, he's just like, ah, I don't want to be here. In fact, I can't believe you did that to me. But I, my sense of duty is far overcoming um, my, my resentment for how you view me. You know, that, the Skyfall kind of nails it in that. That, that. That's the best representation of how it would feel. Because um, even then, because what you do things, you know, you do these things for missions and all that stuff, but it's always far better. Fight for people, don't fight for principles, because people are easier to fight for. And that's what it is. You've had duty of people, you, when you saw his kind of friends and colleagues and MI6 bought up, despite how management screws you, but despite your bosses are screwing you, all that other stuff. You have a duty to, to duty. And I think that's what they play about. So you look at the paradigm shifts, and I always talk about how, why I love doing history with James Bond, why this podcast works with James Bond. And I don't, it wouldn't work with any. I could not do this podcast if I was a fan of anything else because James Bond is the best representation of it. Is because it's a perfect representation of you look at how the 60s views being a law enforcement agent all the way up to the 2000s, how it views. Now you look at the Connery era. Connery was Her Majesty's Lord Terry. You give me the mission, I got you. Queen and country, you know, I'll, there's the bad guy, I got it. Lead me, I'll go get him. And then you look at, again, into um, Roger Moore, same thing. Queen and country, loyal to everything. And that's kind of the paradigm that it was in the 60s and 70s, is that you go to work, you know, you probably don't change jobs very much. If you did, maybe two jobs. At most, and especially you have loyalty to your country. You have loyalty to this, and the enemies were clear. I mean, there was no more clear enemy, you know, coming off of World War II. I mean, the good and evil was black and white back then. And so then you get these, these times of peace and long times of peace. And then you start to get into the first time you see the, the fact that double that MI6 is bad is when you got the double agent in the 1990s with Alec Trevelyan. It's the first time you see that there's an insider mole right? And it's, it's a, a direct representation of how people wanted to perceive their time. So you look at the 60s and 70s and 80s, you go to work, you're loyal to your work, you're loyal to your job, and then you do your thing. Same thing with police. They, police, all that stuff. And then you look at the 90s, there's kind of a change that starts. And then it becomes this really fascinating thing where Hollywood falls in love with the fact that there's an insider, there's a mole, there's someone on the inside that's no damn good, right? And so you see it. So there's Goldeneye happens. It's a great story. Love it. All right. And then they decide, you know what? That was really good. Let's beat it to death. Let's just beat it to death. And then tomorrow never dies comes. They leave it alone. The world is not enough. Again, the good guys are bad. And there's people on the inside that are bad. And then die another day. Miranda Frost. MI6 agent gone bad. And then Casino Royale, there's someone on the inside. They, they played on Mathis. They leave you hanging that Mathis is the bad person, right? Quantum, they didn't do as much in Quantum, or except when they did, what am I talking about? We have people on the inside, they're everywhere. You got right there, and then the guy who's M's bodyguard turns out to be a Spectre agent. And then you got Skyfall. And then you got Spectre, again. C, the big thing is, 
every single per every single movie since Goldeneye had some person who was working at MI6 that ended up to be a, a bad person or working for the enemy. And I think that's a, a representation of how the paradigm changed from the 1960s onto here. And you're seeing it in today, this kind of resentment for, or this idea that um, a lot of these law enforcement, a lot of these people, a lot of Secret Service, MI6, CIA, your local detectives, your FBI, all these guys, right? That there's some kind of nefarious thing that, that they don't do it for duty and for country. And it's a, it's a change, but we don't feel that, you know, for the most part. I mean, of course, there's, there's agents that go through and there are bad people. There are. There's no one, not, there's no organization in this world that's 100% great or pure. But I will say, without a doubt, most of the people that do this job are just like the ones that you, you were portrayed in the 60s and 70s. And I'm not saying that it was always like that, but people are trying to actually help people for the most part. And James Bond... And how you look at how he's had to deal with it. James Bond to himself has even had to deal with how he views his role. And the Daniel Craig era is very much a a very reflection of how the, the paradigm has changed. About how people view um, authority, government, and those who enforce laws. It's a, it's a direct correlation of the changing times. And that's why, like I said, I could not do this podcast with any other franchise except for James Bond. Because no other franchise better exemplifies exactly the, the changing modern times of so many different aspects, whether it be history, whether it be paradigms, whether it be culture, whether it be all these other things. It's perfect and right for that. So without further ado, I know I've been blabbling on for a while here, but you guys are really going to like this next interview. Again, it's my friend JT. He was in the Secret Service. He's guarded all every president up to Trump. He also guarded Biden, our new Trump, our new president. So he has... Um, and God, he's got so many good stories. He's got some secret agent stories that um, would put James Bond to shame. So I'm very excited. So I'd like to welcome in my friend, JT. Welcome in, buddy. My good friend, JT, you've been following me for a while. You've always, been, when you first DM me, you always had the coolest things to talk about. And uh, you're in law enforcement and really, I really appreciate all the things you've told me, all the advice, all the things you've talked to me about. So I'm really excited to have you on today. And uh, just go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. So um, I'm JT. Nice to meet you. I live outside of Washington, D.C. Um, I'm a huge Bond fan, especially the Craig Bonds. Um, I've really just always found a kinship with some of the things that really happened in those films. Um, for most of my career, I was a special agent with the U.S. Secret Service. Uh, I started in Philadelphia. Every agent has a investigations job and a protection job. In my investigations job, uh, I was lucky enough to be trained as a computer hacker and to chase hackers. Spent three years chasing child pornographers and uh, child predators, put some of those guys in jail. Very gratifying work. And then um, for me, timely enough, I was the agent who lived closest to Joe Biden. So I ran his household in Delaware because I lived in Delaware. And then I came to Washington, D.C. and spent 18 months at DHS headquarters and went back to Joe Biden's protection detail. So I've protected everyone up until Trump with the exception of Jimmy Carter. 
Wow. But uh, it was a good experience. I have gotten to travel to 30 countries, some of them multiple times. Uh, it was a real adventure, you know, sometimes living like James Bond, you know, flying on a G6 out of D.C. airport and landing in Italy or Rome or something like that. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Oh, that's, that, I mean, that's some amazing stuff. I'm sure you've got some amazing stories. I didn't know that you, so when you sign onto the Secret Service, you actually get an investigative and a protecting detail? You do. Everyone starts out as an investigator. And I was lucky enough just to answer the phone at 6 a.m. one morning. And some Philly cops had caught someone doing a bust-out scheme. And my reward for walking into the the office and ha- dropping no, $475,000 in cash in a duffel bag on my boss's desk is I got to go to cyber. That was my cookie <laughs> for you know just answering the phone and doing the right thing and investigating. And at that point, I think I had been a Secret Service agent for six days. Um, I was a police I was a police officer in, in Cleveland before that, so I knew how to do the investigation. Mm-hmm. But it was lucky; it was my first week, and I I just really was in the right place at the right time. Um, and then after ten years, and when I was on the protection detail, I left the Secret Service, and I now work in the private sector chasing and defending, uh, chasing hackers, defending against hackers and running a security operations center. What, what are you, what are the biggest obstacles you think with the cybersecurity and how it changes? Have you, how have you seen it change from when you first came on to, to now? Like it's, it's gotta be such a complex world to try to nail down who's actually doing it and actually put a case on somebody. It is when I started the Secret Service sent us to contractors who were designed by these, – these programs were designed by the military and the intelligence community. And we learned how to do everything old school by hand, how to code, you know, how to chase hackers, what to look for. And that was a great foundation. What I'm seeing now is I see young people who are smarter than we are and you know, more enthusiastic than we are a lot in cyber. But they're coming out of these college programs and they're just trained how to use the tools and they don't understand the underlying how everything works. As far as hackers, you know, we're getting hit by China. We're getting hit by Russia. Um, I had one hacker in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam, who was taking down mom and pop shops all over New York City. And I found him. I caught him. I knew where he was. But the problem is I couldn't put handcuffs on him. Mm-hmm. Um, the State Department wouldn't let me go get him. Uh, I notified the Chinese government or Chinese Vietnamese governor, government, and their answer to me was, you're American. You're fat. You're decadent. You take too many of the world's resources. It's okay if they steal from you. And so that is the problem and the challenge defending U.S. companies and organizations because many governments around the world just don't care if their people hack and steal from us. It's, mm-hmm. It adds to their economy and it takes away from ours. So they support the gamesmanship regardless of what the treaty is. What is what is their goal? Like when they go in, you say they attack mom and pop shops. What, what do you mean by uh, attacking mom and pop shops? Like getting their info or their credit history or what? Yeah, they were stealing credit cards. Yeah. You know, this one was fairly straight and simple. They would, you know, I could watch from the log files where they would break into an unpatched server and then someone would make a purchase, and then exactly three minutes later, that credit card information and identity information was shipped back overseas. And you could see it happen in the logs. A lot of bad guys, especially the complex one, are using large companies for covert channels. So they may hack a big-name brand that you and I know. They may not be after the data you think they are. They're just using the the spider web of that company's infrastructure to talk back and forth, whether it's about 
election hacking or stealing or drug running or human trafficking or whatever badness they're doing. They're just using a major corporation as a means to talk and hide from the FBI, CIA, NSA, you know, different types of law enforcement and intelligence communities because they're nested within a large corporation's network. That's really, I, I, I heard that I was having a lot with uh, online gaming. Yeah. Like you would go into an online gaming. It wasn't in fact there. It was a great way to communicate with other ones because I don't know what the encryption was or I don't know how it goes. Was it the same thing? Kind of the same idea is that you want to communicate with other people, other hackers around the world, but yep. you don't want you guys following so you go after another means to avenue to get into there. Correct. And they do, they are so creative in, in the means they do this. Have you ever heard of a sneaker bot? No, I haven't. So there's a lot of money in people buying the new Jordans or Yeezys or whatever sneakers are they are. And people get into Adidas and Nike and they'll buy the sneakers and they'll resell them. And that's, that's their business. That's how they make money. It's a, you know, small entrepreneurial type thing. But they also use these sneaker bots, and these networks to talk about shoe selling to do the same sort of things. Oh. That's, that's so fascinating stuff. That's such a world that, you know, most people don't even have any clue to look into. So that's, that's some interesting stuff. I know it, it would, like Bitcoin too, the same thing. I, we had a, we went into a vacant in the middle of the projects one time and uh, it was just dilapidated. Like you, this property isn't worth $10,000. You couldn't pay me $10,000 to take it. But we right. went inside there, there was $200,000 worth of Bitcoin mining in there so i it's always the dark web always fascinates us and is there anything more with the bitcoin or or i hear that in the news all the time is there anything more to that or is that just kind of more of a media it's a me it's a means to an end how to do it but i mean these things happen in in places just like you're saying you kick in a door and there's a there's a you know server farm in there and a fantastic operation uh the secret service one time in actually david zariski's neighborhood (laughs) Um, if I'm guessing where he lives, there was a, uh, a person who was a Chinese plant and they had stolen the source code for a major financial institution outside of Philadelphia. And we went and how they were caught is customs and border patrol caught this Chinese national leaving on a plane to go to China and they had a bunch of thumb drives and hard drives with them. And turns out it was the source code for this banking institution. Gave it to us. We went, took the house one morning, and there was a server farm, and they had stolen all the source code and was going to set up a duplicate bank, indistinguishable from the real bank in China, so everybody could log in and they could steal everything. That's amazing. That's amazing stuff. It was just caught randomly by an agent at the gate who had, you know, she had her mind right and was able to catch the person. It's, it's funny that a lot of times the biggest busts that you have are all, always always something mundane, and instead right. of just dis- just dismissing it, you go on and ask the next question that needs to be asked, and then before you know it, it balloons into some amazing investigation that you didn't even know when you yeah. started you were getting into. It does. That's fascinating stuff. So what we're talking about today, are, 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 I could talk to you all day about this, by the way, uh, is is what James Bond when he leaves and he leaves these services, and I can hear the way you talk about your job. You loved it. I mean, you could see it all over your face. You loved, loved everything about it. Love yes. doing the job. You love being in law enforcement, and I think the same thing with with Bond is that he, he enjoys the job. He loves the job. He, it, there are times when it wears him down, but there are also times when he just has to walk away. And then you're feeling this now in, in 2020 and beyond that a lot of the people in, in our position or your position in law enforcement are having to face the fact that 
is this worth it anymore? Even though I like the job, is it worth it? Should I walk away? And what were the reasons that you found in your, in your experience that people walked away or why someone would walk away from the job? For me, it's the bureaucrats and the support from the people that you need support from to do your job. You know, in my experience, and many of the, the police officers and agents that I know went into it with the best of intentions to serve the public, to do the right things, to protect the people that need protection, you know, to serve the communities that are underserved. And with the Secret Service, at a certain point, it got really political. Mm-hmm. And I look better if I make you look worse or um, those sort of things. It reminds me of C. Inspector. You know, you have this new bureaucrat come in and that person has their own agenda. And everything you work for for a decade or decades is out the window because this person is connected and they're a position of power. And their new policy is going to affect how you do your career. I've had multiple surgeries. You know, I've had my knee rebuilt a few different times due to a training accident and on duty being drugged from a, you know, fully armored limo in D.C. Um, Did you ever get to drive one, by the way? They are. They're awesome. Oh, my God. It's so cool. (laughs) So the. uh, I'll get back to the driving part because that's a good story. Um, But when you have bureaucrats come in, you know, you take the job. I was, we practice getting shot. You practice dying with the Secret Service. Get in front of the bullet, make sure the protectee's safe, sacrifice yourself. So you expect to go into surgery, you expect to get shot, you expect to die. What you don't expect is to be betrayed by someone above you, right? You're giving everything, you're willing to give your life, but when your career is expendable and you're expendable and your efforts are expendable, that's for me and a lot of my peers, that was the time to go. Mm. You know, if, if you can't trust your leadership to protect you. Like I felt that, you know, I found a lot of commonality with bond and C and M and C that, you know, someone new is coming in and they don't care about the agents and they don't care about the process and they don't care about the sacrifice. It was what was going to benefit, benefit him. That, that strikes a chord with a lot of people in law enforcement and intelligence and, you know, all the communities that are tied together. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, we love the job. It's what we signed up for. We wanted to do it since, I know for me, I wanted to be a, a, in the law enforcement since I was a kid. It was something that was a calling, you know? And when you get, you get to the point where it's like everything besides the job is weighing down on you. And you already sacrificed so much for your job, you know? You're constantly fighting people and foot chases and, and spending time away from your family all the time. Mm-hmm. The last thing that you want to do is have somebody up top be like, oh, well, this this is your new schedule. This is what we're doing. Or this is the policy that I'm putting in place that makes you doing your job harder and then puts you in things. So it's 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 never the job. And that's what I'm finding. And, and I can see it. Like I, even the way you talk about it, you can see how much you enjoy the job. And I still love the job. Yeah. But it's, it's the point where all the other factors are there. Um, it just gets to be too much. And I know you talked about, I want to get more into your training because you, you talked about all these cool things you trained. How much, do, how much, how many time, how much time do you spend training as a part of the secret, secret service? So before we get to training, I would just want to say I'm jealous that you're in Baltimore. Um, <laughs> you're the I only person. To, <laughs> I wanted to be, the reason I really was, I always wanted to be a police officer, but what really drew me to it was Andre Brower as Frank Pemilton in the TV show Homicide. If I could have been Andre Brower, my life would have been fulfilled. So like you are like (laughs) 
You yep. are the hero I see on TV. I yep. love that role and I love that character. Yep, Frank Pumbleton. That was, I remember when I was growing up as a kid, one, one of the reasons I ended up in Baltimore, I know we talked about this too, was the way that he would conduct himself in the box. Yeah. And that was just the coolest, most, and, and if you guys don't know, Homicide Life in the Street was like in the 90s. It was an amazing underwatch show. And then the same people who did that did The Wire, which again was an amazing show. But that guy, in the, the, the interrogations are always my my favorite part of the entire job are always the interrogations. How, how about you? What was your favorite? What was the thing that, like, even now being removed of it, what was the thing that you missed the most about being in it? Uh, and being the Secret Service, I loved the day-to-day. I missed the day-to-day network, knowing where you're going to be. You know, there were times I would get off a plane and my phone would blow up and say, get back on a plane and go somewhere else. Or you'd get a call. I got a call once and said, pack a bag for four days and be ready. We'll let you know where the, the plane's going. Um, so sometimes you just didn't know whether you're, you know, where you're going. I had multiple passports. I had uh, diplomatic pass. I think two diplomatic passports and two official passports. So they would be, you know, moved around in case, you know, someone at headquarters would go get the stamps I needed or visas for the different countries I'd travel and getting to go to some place like Ascension Island. I've been there twice. It's it's a volcano in the middle of the Atlantic off the African coast. You know, it's a BBC uh, broadcast station during Radio Free Africa in World War II. And I've, I've gotten to be there twice. Or, you know, you end up in Kuala Lumpur, you know, or just all these That's exotic amazing. places that Bond kind of... Oh, you definitely frequented. had to feel like Bond I, traveling I, the world. I got to see a few of those, yeah. That's amazing. So that was that was the enjoyable part of it. Um, with regard to training, training was pretty intense uh, for the service for me. It was eight months long. So I went four months to the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center in Brunswick, Georgia. Um, did you go to Fletzy, Georgia? or New I Mexico? went to Fletzy, Artesia. Okay. Artesia. And, so, and you learned Spanish. I didn't. <laughs> um, well, so I trust did. me, you lucked out going to Georgia, not in Artesia. It's just I, it's an oil refinery, and all it does is smell like oil refinery all day. It's terrible. Really? Oh, it's awful. Great for PT, you know, running and breathing in oil fumes. <laughs> and then I did four months at the Secret Service training facility, actually not far from Baltimore. We stayed at, we stayed near BWI Airport, and we drove in every day. So I did four months there. And then you go and you do your field office time. You know, training's like everything else. You go shoot once a quarter, and... You know, you do your update trainings and things like that. But when you get to the detail, that you train um, a week or two a month. So you're in the D.C. area, and you go back to Secret Service training in Beltsville, Maryland. And, you know, you're shooting. You're doing ambush recognition training. You're doing um, intelligence training, driver's training. You know, you're on, the, on this giant pad waiting for the instructor to say, ready, set, bang. And you take off and do your driving instructing. You asked earlier about driving the limos. Yeah, you get to drive the limos, which are really nice. Use an older generation limo, at least when I went through. And you'd start the driver's training courses in a Mustang or a Camaro or whatever, you know, fast car they had at the moment that would spin. And you had to do that. You had to complete the driving courses in the fast cars. And then you had to complete the driving course with the fast cars for time. Then they put you in the limo and you had to do the same course in a former president's limo. So they're not using the active ones or using the leftover ones. 
Um, so you do that course in that limo. And then there is the breakdown um, test. And so you're in the limo. You have to shut it off, put it in neutral. In case, you know, it's, an, it's a uh, test to see how well you do. And then the person in the armored suburban behind you hits you and rams you through the obstacle course. So you're just steering this beast of a car with no power steering, trying to get through this obstacle course where your buddy's hitting you from behind and from, you know, the armored suburban. And you both of you have to get through the course in a certain amount of time. That's awesome. That sounds so much fun. I mean, I'm sure it's intense, but it sounds fun at the same time. Exactly. It is. The best day to be the best place in the world to be a take your kid to school day kid is a secret service training center because as a, as a student, I was, you know, take your, as a student, as an agent student, Mm -hmm. um, you'd have to go through the Hogan's alley. And the next thing you know, you have instructors, kids throwing smoke grenades and everything else at you. You can't, (laughs) you can't shoot back at them. You just kind of take their abuse all day as they, they bomb you and rain everything down on you in Hogan's alley. So it's a great day. If you're, your mom or dad works at Beltsville, it's not so great day. If you're a, a student trying to get through your course. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. I know you mentioned you saw that you traveled a lot. When you land in new places, um, what are the best things that you find to actually accommodate yourself? Because you, you, I mean, I'm sure you hear a little bit of like a dossier or research a little bit, but once you're there, what's the best way to immerse yourself to find out all the things that you need to find? You get in a habit of trying to understand the moment you are going somewhere, start reading. You know, you're on the the UN page or the CIA fact page and trying to understand where you're going, what not to do. You know, I, I spent a lot of time in Istanbul, Turkey. And, you know, if you show someone the bottom of your feet or put your feet up on a, on a desk or a couch or something, it's highly offensive and you mm-hmm. can't do that. So you learn that, you know, f- from the moment you're going so you don't want to screw things over. And you spend a lot of time understanding scoot or money. You know, mm-hmm. how much doing, how much is the conversion, whether it's a, you know, a, whatever the name of the, the currency is and how much the translation is and learning how to get around for things like that, what to eat, where to eat. Um, sometimes it's very nice, very, especially if you're in a westernized country. I remember uh, flying to, um, from Washington, D.C. into Rome. I got off the plane and there was a State Department agent who handed me a black bag with a fully automatic rifle. Oh, the dream. <laughs> and the keys to a brand new 5 Series. And he said, well, I'll see you in Bologna in two days. And so, like, you know, I walked out of the front of the airport. There was a BMW waiting for me. I dropped my bag in the, in the machine gun in the, in the back and drove north to Bologna where I proceeded to stand in the hallway for three days. So the glamour and the, <laughs> the sexiness went away once I got to Bologna. <laughs> Well, it's worth it for the story alone, my man. Yeah. That's amazing stuff. Um, but you, traveling these other countries, it's it you learn and, and you try to connect with as many people as you can. Um, the State Department special agents, the regional security officers, as they're called, really help because a lot of times you'll get into the country and someone from the State Department, usually a, a driver um, from the local embassy who is usually a, a local, someone hired by the U.S. government, pick you up at the airport, take you to the embassy, and they'll brief you. Do this, don't do this, go here, don't go here. Um, I remember the first time I went to Algier in North Africa. And I got off the plane, and there were two guys waiting for me, and they said they were my bodyguards. 
I'm the secret service agent. I'm the bodyguard. Like, no. Because Al-Qaeda controlled part of the city, the Casbah at the time. And they said if Al-Qaeda had caught me, they would have, you know, take me to the Casbah and cut my head off on YouTube. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. We're in a different, we're a different playground now. Yeah, different you know, world, some, right? Some of the times you're thinking. And uh, I snuck away from them one day and went for a run. And I probably got half mile, three quarters of a mile into the run. And it was just, it was almost like a Scooby-Doo movie. All I saw were like eyeballs from windows looking at me. Like, maybe I shouldn't have ran off from my bodyguards. <laughs> yeah. One of these things is not like the other. Exactly. Um, but generally, you know, it, the Secret Service was an exercise in multiculturalism. You learn, you know, how other people live and, you know, respect that. And I think if you find a, you learn very quickly to work to find a point of commonality with people. Mm. And understand where they're coming from. Uh, another, you know, another thing for when I was in Algier is they asked me about Las Vegas. At that point in my life, I'd never been to Las Vegas, but they considered that being a very strict Muslim country. Las Vegas was the den of sin, iniquity, you know, everything wrong with the world. Mm -hmm. And since I had told them that I'd never been to Las Vegas, I was okay. You know, it was just it's just interesting to see how they'll judge you on a single point of information as an American. Yeah. You know, they'll ask you one question and that the answer to that one question is really going to determine how they treat you for the entire extent of your stay. I've always found something romantic about North Africa, the, that Northern part of Africa up there, yeah. it's just a, such a different world. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've never been, I only know from like reading history books or reading current books or even novelizations. There's just something about that North, uh, northwest part of africa that just to me is intriguing it's just again it's all sorts of like secret dens and all this stuff i just that's how i just picture it is just it like, is it's Algier, it's tangier it's morocco it's casablanca you know if you're in you're standing in um gibraltar which is actually england southern spain and you're looking across the strait and you see north africa from there it's just there's kind of nothing like it yeah yeah, you almost feel, you definitely have to have it's got to be a surreal feel, and you definitely have to feel like James Bond. I mean, you basically were James Bond. I mean, what a, what a cool story, to, what a cool life to go through. And uh, man, I, I could talk to you all day, but I got to ask you one question. Mm-hmm. Okay, we talked a lot about you know leaving the service and stuff like that. One a Bond girl, any Bond girl you could have. All right, comes up to you, says, "I'm uh, J- uh, JT. You and me, we're doing mm-hmm. this, but you got to leave the service." What Bond girl is making you leave the service? I only can pick one. <laughs> one for now. If you can get two one at the same now. time, you can. You, you, you would. <laughs> so I will have to go, even though she was toward the end of her Bond girl career. At the, Monica Bellucci oh. has always been just the most incredible of of actresses and most beautiful and. You know, she should have been in Bond movies 20 years earlier. Um, you know, I, I really enjoyed the Evergreen, you know, the, the Vesper Lynn mm-hmm. Casino because that's my all-time favorite movie. But with with her, it was always the back and forth. She gave as good as she got, mm-hmm. you know, as, as far as, a, you know, mental challenge and uh, foil for Bond. But it has going to have to be Monica Bellucci. Monica Bellucci, absolutely. And your travels, out of curiosity, where did you see, like, as far as women go, what was like the most beautiful woman or, or the, the, the most, you know, exotic place you went? You know, I would have to say it would be a tie between Sweden okay. and Jordan. 
Jordan. Yeah. I mean, um, they all look, I don't know how to say it. They all look like Princess Jasmine from Disney or <laughs> Kim Kardashian without the, the giant rear. I mean, they were just <laughs> absolutely beautiful uh, women in Jordan. Well, that's awesome. Well, JT, thank you so much. I mean, this has been a great conversation. I could do this all day. Okay. Uh, thank you so much for having being on today. Uh, hey, go ahead. Thank you. I love your I love your podcast. I listen to it all the time. I really learn a lot. You know, whether you're talking about the water crisis in Bolivia or things like that. So, it's just great value and great something to to keep my mind occupied. So, thank you for doing that. Well, thank you so much. I get it. Some of your caliber and stature that means a lot. So, thank you, JT, so much for coming on. And we're definitely going to do this again. I'm definitely going to be. You're going to be a regular on this show, my man. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on today. Nice talk to you. Thank you so much, JT. That was amazing. Um, man, I, I could just, like I said, I could have just talked to him forever. So it was, it was uh, great. We're definitely going to have to have you on again. And we're going to go from him. We're going to go right into my interview I had with the guys from the Silverback Chronicles. Again, you're going to see that their experience, what they actually do is different. Um, their experience with the job, their, all these things are different. But kind of the same things, the sentiments are the same. I mean, they love the job. I mean, you can you could hear how much JT loved being a police officer, how much he loved being a, a Secret Service agent. I mean, it, he just lit up when he talked about it. And these guys do the same. I'm with Sev all the time. You know, he's my partner. He's been my partner now for a year and a half. He's my, been my saving grace in this year because uh, I got a every year they do a shakeup where you get new partners. And uh, if I didn't have Sev this year. Uh, I'll leave it at that. But yeah, Seb's he's loyal. This dude is is real to the core, and, and then uh, you know Big H is his boy too. So, and if you, it's just great. And so you guys are really gonna have a good perspective about what they have going through too. So without further ado, welcome in the guys from the Silverback Chronicles, Big H and Dre. Uh, Alright, today's episode going to be welcome on my man Big H and Dre. They have a great podcast if you guys aren't listening. Pay attention to it. It's called the Silverback Chronicles. Alright, these guys are guys from New York. They've been detected for a long time. They've been police. Really good guys. And we're coming out today about talking about you know why why do police officers leave the job, right? Figure out whether this is this job is for you or not and try to walk away. And, and we're, we're dealing with it now, especially in 2020, as police officers and law enforcement across the country about what, what it is about walking away. And, and you guys have been doing this podcast for a while now. You've got over 40 episodes. You talk to people all over the nation, all over the world. And, and what is the sentiments, kind of what you see about why people walk away for the most reasons? I think people walk away um, because officers or first responders, they're starting to feel not appreciated like the job that we do you know we go out and we help everyone for the public to like not appreciate that it's, it's very disheartening hmm. how about you how about you Horton uh, I feel the same way uh, I feel like for the job we have to do the things that we endure day in and day out I don't feel like a lot of officers are appreciated I don't think Officers feel like the department backs them, especially by seeing what what's going on in other jurisdictions. So it's it's 
that's making them real timid. And when you're timid with doing this job, somebody can get hurt. And I just don't feel like, you know, policing is different now. Not everybody's cut to do it. But when you feel as though that, you know, your department doesn't back you fully and you treat it like trash, it doesn't make it any better. Mm-hmm. So I feel as though people people just like, you know what? Uh, I'm not dealing with this for 25 years. I'm out. Exactly. It's never the job, right? I mean, the job itself is still fun. You know, doing the work, Absolutely. doing exactly what it is. It's all the periphery stuff that we have to deal with all the time. It's the it's the upper management. It's the the public, and I think that's the more than anything else is that the morale. I think that's the reason. It's a lot of times for a lot of these movies, he walks away for he wants to get the bad guys or anything like that. I don't think that's what we deal with. I think we deal with the fact that we have um, management, we have politicians, we have media telling us how how bad we are all the time. And what do you see from across the country? Is that kind of the sentiment that you're getting all nationwide? Uh, yeah. I mean, definitely, especially in Seattle, you know, just, just a number of places in, in, in Atlanta. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable how they're just letting their officers deal with this nonsense. And it's, it's sad that it's not even the people. It's not hard to deal with the people, per se. But like you said, it's upper management. It's in-house things that we got to deal with, which is sad. Like, who wants to come to work and, like, Oh, now I got to deal with this. Or, or if I do this, they're not going to have my back. They'll find a way to fire me. Another way for me to get a civil lawsuit. It's it's, it's horrible. It's, it really is horrible. So you're right. We got to deal with more in-house than, and worry about in-house than going out there and protecting the servant. Because that's actually the easy part. Mm. How about you, Dre? Right. I agree. And to add to that, what people tend to forget is that like people that do this job, first responders that do this job, a lot of us come from many different backgrounds. Like I have a background in bank in banking. I can easily go back into the banking um, world and, and get a nice paying job, but I choose to do this job. There's plenty of first responders that have, you know, like I know firemen that have their own uh, plumbing businesses, but they choose to run into a burning building because they want to help people. People, well, first responders are starting to, you know, they're starting to, because of the way the government is treating us or the citizens, a lot of them are just saying, you know what, I'll hang this up and, and go, you know, go do my plumbing. Yeah, that's, that's a great you point because I think what you're getting people... left with is the people that the people that can't find another job are staying. And the ones that have options, um, why, why would I stay and get paid, you know, 70000 cut my OT and do a job that, you know, doesn't – why would I stay? And then what you're being left with are the people that just – Probably shouldn't be cops to begin with. Absolutely, I agree. What do you think about the caliber? Like, what do you th- what do you th- what do you think going forward? If you're if you're the uh, marketing right, and you're going to be like, all right, guys, I'm the recruiting basement. I'm going to go into these places and I'm going to recruit police officers. How do you sell it now? Let's start with you, Dre. I would sell it back with the morale, like old school. You know, morale, um, the brotherhood. We take care of each other. Because on the streets, you don't know which citizen. You can't point out and say, oh, yeah, that citizen has my back. You don't know that. So we have to really rely on each other. Um, and I will also market, you know, a little bit more paying job, higher salaries. That's mm-hmm. what I would market. How about you? What, sell me right now. I, I'm, uh, I'm at a job fair right now, H. And I'm saying, I'm, I got a booth right now. I can go be uh, an accountant or I can go be a, a police officer. You tell me. You sell me right now on this job. Listen, 
come to a place where we love each other, we take care of each other. You get a pay, you get you get a pay bump and raise every year. I mean, where else are you gonna go have fun when you can just go run and, and, and chase bad guys? I thought you couldn't do that have anymore. Fun with the job. Well, you know, every once in a while you can find a good run here and there, but it all depends on what you're looking for. <laughs> it's all in the eye, the eagle's eye. <laughs> or the golden eye. The golden the eye, golden yeah. Eye. <laughs> you gotta have that golden eye on this that's job. It. That's it. Because um, you gotta make sure, you know, whatever you're doing, you could uh, back it up and be mm-hmm. lawful with it. Yep, absolutely. I mean, you know, you know, definitely an increase in pay. You know, benefits is everything, but you know that's, I you know, even just that small portion will go a long way with somebody dealing with the regular in-house bullshit that you got to deal with. That that at least at least that that make it make people feel a lot better coming to work. Well, at least I'm getting paid more to deal with it. Hmm. You know what I mean? But a small you... thing as in building that rapport and keeping that chemistry and letting your partners know, listen, I'm a, I'm gonna be here for any and everything that you got to go through. Just letting that officer know that we got your back. We're going to make sure you know any and everything. And, you know, we love you and we appreciate you. That goes a long way. As in kicking the dog every time he's down. Not even mm-hmm. telling them, you're doing a phenomenal job. I understand what's going on through the media, but don't let that don't let that cloud, don't let that cloud your vision or where you're going to be in the next 15, 20 years. We want you to remain. This department is a family-oriented department. Things like that goes a long way. Yeah, and it makes a it makes an officer feel great about coming to work. I think you could bring a great point. Is that it's all about the, the guys you work with too. I mean, you know, you always got a boy. Like no matter what, you got something to do or something happening. You know, you you support each other, and the camaraderie is hard to find in any of the field. Like accountants don't be like, "Yo, what are you doing after? We're holding it down." Like you know, what I mean, it's not. Yeah. A, it's a, it's a whole right, different right, paradigm right. that we go through. Like probably select down to military. Uh, military fire and maybe sports at this time, but it's, it's the camaraderie that you don't find in any of the places. Absolutely. And you, you talked about what I was, what I was on these podcasts with or these, these uh, interviews with or the hard questions, right? So you mentioned that Casino Royale was your, was your uh, favorite movie, Dre. Now at the end of Casino yes. Royale, sure. James Bond basically says, you know what? I'm done. I'm going on. I'm going to move on to, uh, to uh, go leave the department for a girl. All right. Now you got a choice. You leave this career, but you have to leave the career for a girl. What girl from the Bond movies? What's your Bond girl that you're hanging up, Uh, hanging up the cuffs, putting away, putting away the pistol for? Oh, man. I I, I don't know the Bond movies like that for a female in it. But I, I, I. I tell you what, if 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 Selma Hyatt was like, "Yo, Papi, come get me," it's over. <laughs> Vaya con Dios, right? <laughs> I think um, what was the theme? I don't know their names. I just know how she looks. I actually have two of them. One, I'll give you a name that everybody would probably always say, um, Halle Berry, with the Pierce Bronson one, right? All right, all right. Yeah, she was looking mighty yummy. Yeah. And then the other one I like was in Casino Royale. That they killed the husband. Oh you know, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he yeah. snuck up in the room. Yeah, Car- Katerina, Katerina Mirano, Solange. Yes. Yeah, when she comes in on that horse yeah. in the bikini. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll ride shotgun all day with you. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh we wow, are. nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
<laughs> all right guys thank you guys so much for your time i really appreciate it and if you guys aren't listening or aren't following it's the silverback chronicles they got merch everywhere they got websites they got big things coming bunch of episodes you guys are great thanks for coming on i appreciate it thank you so much for your time guys appreciate it guys thank you guys so much for tuning in Again, this was episode 20. Thank you again, the Silver Guys from the Silverback Chronicles for coming on. Thank you so much, JT, for coming on. Um, if you're not following me on YouTube, give me a try. It's fun. We got, like I said, we got a lot of good stuff going on. If you're not subscribing to the podcast, we're going to have a bunch of stuff coming up. Got so much content coming up. Um, like I said, the Golden Eye 64 series, these podcasts, I have a bunch of episodes coming up. Um, Golden Eye 25 is a. Uh, quickly approaching so i got a, a, a whole thing for that so i'm very excited again so if you're not following if you're not subscribing subscribe and thank you guys so much for coming on thank you so much for doing 20 episodes again i far far exceeded any expectations i would have for this for this little journey that i've had and uh, everyone in the community thank you so much for for all your support so again thank you guys so much out there looking forward to one day no time to die coming out We'll see. It'll happen. It'll happen. I don't know if it's going to happen anytime soon, though. I don't see it anytime soon. But regardless, we have so much other stuff to do. So, again, as a community, thank you guys so much. Stay together. Stay positive out there. And if you're not subscribing, subscribe. All right, guys. Take care. Be good out there.